Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. We're continuing our study through the book of Hebrews, and this morning I want to preach on this title of Jesus, our high priest. Jesus, our high priest. And Hebrews chapter 5 deals with that subject, and I really believe that dealing with us humbling ourselves before God, there's not much of a subject we could examine more so than Jesus as our high priest. For when we begin to understand who he is, one, it magnifies or reveals to us just how insignificant we are. But then also it begins to show us just how indebted we are to him. And this morning, if you're here and you're saved, or if you're here and you're not saved, either way, you are indebted to Christ with a debt that you can never repay. We're indebted to him. Hebrews chapter 4, I want to read one verse in chapter 4, then we'll jump forward to chapter 5. Really, Hebrews chapter 4, the last little section there, deals with this subject. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 14, the Bible says, Seeing that we have a great <coughs> high, <coughs> high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Then drop with me down to chapter 5 and verse number 5. The Bible says, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. With the Lord's help, I want to preach for a few moments on Jesus, our high priest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer this morning. God, we come before you unworthy apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. God, you are our high priest, Lord, who made the sacrifice for our sins. Lord, although we owe you a debt of gratitude that we can never repay, Lord, may we never forget just who we are in your presence. Lord, may you be honored and glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In Hebrews chapter 5, the very first verse, the writer says this, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Of Jesus our high priest, the first thing we want to see is that he is a sacrificial priest. The duties of the priest were that they would come into the 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 tabernacle or the temple, and there they would bring offerings and sacrifices to God. Both of the gifts that had been given to the Lord for, uh, there were different gifts, different offerings that were brought, but also for sin offerings that where they would sacrifice the blood. And of course, you know, the high priest himself was the only one out of the entire nation who could enter into those holies of holies. And there pour out the blood sacrifice upon the ark and there make a offering for the sins of the people. 
we no longer need that sacrifice because we understand that Jesus Christ was the high priest that entered into the Holy of Holies and poured out his blood, his blood himself. And of course, we know in the New Testament that when he did that, the temple veil tore in two from top to bottom. It was severed because there was no longer a separation, but man had access to God directly for the first time since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. Here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 1, we find that there was the sacrificial priest. The sacrificial priest, the Bible says that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. I want to look at this word gifts here, uh, the gifts that were given. Priests represented human beings in their dealings with God. But the chief mediator was the high priest who symbolized all the people in his approach to God. Um, there are many uh, gifts, different offerings that were brought to the Lord, but the gifts were those things that were brought to him that would say, listen, I want to bring your gifts of sacrifice to God. And so the priest was a mediator to bring gifts from people, the children of Israel, to God himself. Here we find in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5, the Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So as the priest in the Old Testament would take gifts from uh, believers, in the New Testament it is Jesus Christ himself who has replaced the priest. He is the high priest, and he became the mediator between God and man. This uh, is, plays out in our lives in many aspects, and again, I won't delve into all that this morning, but uh, one aspect being that we can pray directly to God and through the Son. We do not have to go to a priest to pray on our behalf or to ask for repentance, but rather Jesus Christ is our mediator. That's when we pray, we pray, we ask these things in Jesus' name, because it is the name of Jesus that we have mediation between us and God the Father. Jesus Christ replaced the priest. He is the high priest that for once and all sacrificed himself and forever was the high priest. We don't need a priest anymore. We are a royal priesthood, but Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator of our gifts to God. Our gifts of praise. Jesus Christ is the mediator of that and he belongs all to him belongs all praise, honor, and glory. But not only did the sacrificial priest offer gifts, but he also offered uh, offerings of sacrifice, offers of sacrifice. It was the high priest who would go in and after the, the bull, the ram, the lambs had been slain, it was he that would take the blood into the, uh, to the, the Holy of Holies there. And it was the high priest who could make sacrificial offerings for the sins of the people. The regular priest could make offerings for thanksgiving or praise or for sanctification. But only the high priest could offer, make sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins on behalf of the people. In Leviticus chapter 7, verse number 12, it says... If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour <clears throat> mixed with oil. This was an offering of thanksgiving. And so the priest would make these thanksgiving offerings for those who wanted to show their thanksgiving to the blessings or forgiveness of God. In Leviticus chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, <clears throat> 
the Bible says, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a person sins unintentionally against any of these commandments of the Lord, and anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bring guilt, uh, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. So there was offerings of sin offerings, and there was a guilt offering. Leviticus 5.15 says, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as his trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary, a trespass offering. So there was sacrifices to be made for thanksgiving and blessings. There was sacrifices for forgiveness. There was sacrifice for intentional sin. There were sacrifices for unintentional sin or unknown sins. And there was all kinds of sacrifice in the Old Testament. But what we find is, is that Jesus Christ became our sacrifice that was completely sufficient. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, he forever did away with the sacrifice of the Old Testament because his blood is great enough to cover all things. So he was a sacrificial priest. Second of all, we find that Jesus Christ was and is a passionate priest. Look at me in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Here we find that Jesus Christ, only a sacrificial priest, but he was a passionate priest. We find here part of the passion of Christ at his own display. First off, we see it through his prayers. Jesus prayed passionately. The Bible says that he did through cries and through tears in John chapter 17, beginning in verse number 20. The Bible says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, in me, and I in you, that they also may be in one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. We find that Jesus Christ, he prayed passionately, but he prayed for us. He said, not for these alone, but for all those who believe in me through their word. Jesus Christ prayed for me. I don't know about you, but I've had some people that have prayed for me in my life. My testimony, I've shared it before uh, in part, but... I was living a life of sin that I'm ashamed of. And when I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I was on the interstate headed back to Florida, South Florida where I lived at the time, working in air conditioning. And when I pulled on the side of the road, I, I called my mom and dad to talk to them on the phone and got saved on a payphone. I know if our young people here probably don't know what a payphone is, but... It used to be a device you had to put money in to make a phone call. 
and you couldn't do it going down the road. You actually had to stop and go to a booth to, pay, uh, to make a phone call. And um, I, I spoke on a pay phone to my dad, and after I gave my life to Christ, my mother began weeping and said, um, she said, I've been praying for you to get saved for some time now. She said, and <clears throat> when I got saved, I told my mom and dad, I said, listen, I said, I don't know why, but I felt like if I went another mile down the interstate that it would be my last mile. And uh, my mom broke down crying, and she said, um, I've been praying for you, and the Lord told me that if you didn't get saved, um, you were going to die. And I felt like this was it for you. And I'm a product of prayers. I'm grateful for, that people that, for people that pray for me. I believe in the power of prayer, don't you? We're to be a people of prayer. And although I want to pray for you and I want you to pray for me, we ought to rejoice in this. That the greatest prayer warrior that ever lived, the mediator, Jesus Christ himself, prays for you and has prayed for you. He is a passionate prayer warrior who prays earnestly and as it were, the Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed as it were great, and sweat as it were great drops of blood. That's passionate prayer. I'm reminded of Thomas Kramer, uh, Cranmer's final statement. He was, lived in the 1400s, um, part of the Reformation, and he was there. And when Cranmer had been in prison for two and a half years, his isolation from friends and books and even from means of writing, um, his friends Ridley and Lid Latimer had been burned and no doubt in the loneliness of the Bacardo prison, he dreaded a similar fate, and at last he had subscribed his name to a statement drawn up in advance that they would say, listen, here is a statement that you recant your faith, sign your name to it, and we can let you go. You can escape prison and certain death. Thomas Cranmer signed his name to that document, recanting his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and pledging his allegiance to the Catholic Church. After brief freedom and fl much flattery before his recantation, he was now uh, thrown back in the Bacardo because he recanted his recantation. There was a, a procession at St. Mary's for service before execution and called upon to make a final profession of his Catholic faith. Cramer read and stated his uh, reformed convictions of the Reformation. He says, I renounce and refuse things written with my hand. He said, listen, I know I signed my name to it, but I renounce and refuse what I wrote. He said, they were contrary to the truth which I had thought in my heart and written for fear of death. For as much as my hand offended in writing contrary to my heart, therefore my hand shall first be punished. For if I may come to the fire... It shall be first burned. He said, I'll burn the hand first that signed recanting my faith. But before this statement, he prayed aloud and said, Thou didst not give thy son unto death for small sins only, but for all the greatest sins of the world, so that the sinners return to thee with his whole heart as I do here at this present. Wherefore, have mercy on me, O God, whose property is always to have mercy, 
Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for thy great mercy. Talk about a passion and prayer. This was moments before he was thrust into the fire and burned alive for his faith in Christ. And yet Jesus Christ is far more passionate than Mr. Thomas Cranmer ever was, and he prayed for us. Not only see that he prayed, but also we see obedience. It says, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. The Bible says that he learned suffering through obedience, and the word learn comes from a Greek word meaning to gain knowledge or a prize, and that word prize means to give notice, to give information, to to allow to know what's going to happen. And so Christ was given insight into his death through his suffering. Obey literally means submissive. Jesus learned to submit to the Father through suffering, and not that he did not know uh, obedience was, but you have to understand Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He had never submitted to anything other than the will of the Father. What could submit to all power? What could all power submit to? It could be said this way. Jesus' suffering showed him how he must follow the will of the Father. Jesus, our high priest, he prayed and he followed the Lord. We know this is true because in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's praying there, he prays out, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted to the Father. I dare say this morning, if Christ prayed and obeyed, how much more should you and I be people of prayer and obedience? But then thirdly, I want to hone in here, and I know time is quickly passing. I pray that you'll bear with me a few extra minutes this morning. In verse number 12, through verse number 14. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I'm going to look at the misunderstood priest. What a shame that the writer here says that he talks about this high priest and how wonderful God is and how magnificent Jesus Christ is. And he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers teaching others this. But instead, you still need somebody to teach you. Why? Because we have not matured as believers. This morning, I want to ask you, have you matured in the things of Christ? Are you capable of teaching the Word of God? Are you capable of sharing with others what Christ has done in your heart? Are you able to be a teacher? 
We've got a lot of teachers around here, but we've got a lot. Of, we need some more Sunday school teachers. We need some more workers. We need some more people that will be willing to uh, do discipleship groups and, and get involved with teaching. Are you able to teach? Uh, if you were in a public school or in a college, you would expect that after being there for a year or two years, three years, that you would gain enough knowledge that you could share with others what you're learning would you not yet sometimes we have christians who have been in churches for 5 10 15 20 30 40 50 years or more and still do not know or possess the ability to teach others somebody so i have to teach them misunderstood He's a priest. He is our high priest. He is our father. He is the wonder of everything. He is the highlight, the one that we praise and adore. Jesus Christ is above all. And yet, do we even know him? Not matured. I want to share briefly just a few things that I think that every Christian should know. I believe it's on the front of your bulletin this morning. It is the five solas of the Reformation. A, the first one is sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. This is basic doctrine understanding that you as believers should know. And that is, you'll hear me quote this one all the time, sola scriptura, scripture alone. We believe that the word of God is efficient. It is enough in our lives that the word of God is all we need. It's enough. I don't need, I heard a preacher this week on, uh, on uh, social media who got up and preached. And, and he was preaching against preachers who say the Bible's all you need. He said, we don't need just the Bible. We need revelation. We need God to reveal things in our life. And, and the Word of God in the Old Testament, they got new uh, revelation from the Lord all the time, and God never stopped. And we don't just need the Bible. We need revelation. I want you to know hogwash. The Bible is enough. It is God's completed Word. The Word of God is enough in our life. It's enough. Then, solus Christus, Christ alone. It is Jesus Christ alone. Uh, he is our everything. He is our high priest. He is our sacrifice. We need nothing else. There is no other sacrifice or offering needed. Jesus Christ is alone enough. Sola fide, faith alone. It is faith alone that saves us, not works. We do not inherit our way to salvation. Good works do not earn us salvation. Rather, it is our faith alone in Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that that's all it takes because faith is all I have to offer. My good works, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. Sola, gratia, grace alone, it is the grace of God. You and I have not earned salvation. We have not done anything that would merit it. Rather, our salvation is by the good grace of God alone. Amen? Then sola Deo, gloria, glory to God alone. He alone is worthy of our praise. I want to share this, and then I'll be done. The five fundamentals of the Christian faith. 
the five fundamentals of the Christian faith. These are the elementary teachings. I know this is a Sunday morning. You say, preacher, this is more for Sunday school than it is Sunday morning. That's all right. Bear with me. I'm going to share it with you anyways. These are the five fundamentals that every believer should believe and, and know. First is the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.1, 1, 1, John 20.28, Hebrews 1, 8 through 9. That is the deity of Jesus. Jesus Christ is and was and remains the Son of God. He was God in flesh, but he was God incarnate. The deity of Lord, he was not just a man, he was God. Second of all is the virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew 1, 23, Luke 1, 27. There are scriptures on and on that teach that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Why is this important? Because without the virgin birth, then he was not deity. But because he was born of a virgin, he was God in flesh, and it is important that we understand that. Thirdly is blood, the blood atonement, Acts 20, 28, Romans 3, 25, Romans 5, 9, Ephesians 1, uh, verse 7, Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. It teaches us that the blood of Jesus Christ, it is out, without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sin, the Bible says. And so it is the blood atonement of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. I love songs about the blood of Jesus Christ. I know some people say it's too gruesome, too old-fashioned. I don't care. It's the blood of Jesus that has washed away my sins, and I thank the Lord for his blood. The bodily resurrection. Luke 24, verses 36 through 46. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 15. And other verses teach us that Jesus Christ was resurrected bodily, and that also the Bible teaches that one day we'll be resurrected as well. Jesus Christ lives. Then lastly, I want to look at the inerrancy of the scriptures themselves. These are things that we must understand. That the word of God is inerrant. There is no false teaching or doctrine in the Bible. There's no error. There's no error. Printers make errors when they print stuff. They might get a spelling or a comma or a period wrong, but the truth of God's word, there's no error in it. It's truth for all time. The scriptures are true. And lastly this morning, because we do not understand, because he is a misunderstood priest, because we have become lazy in our Christian walk, we cannot teach. We can't share with others the goodness of God if we don't understand who he is ourselves. Revivals broke out this week at Asbury University in Kentucky. I said earlier, they said that what is transpiring is they are humbling themselves before God and recognizing who he is. I don't know about you, but I need revival in my heart. I do. You say, preacher, you're the pastor. You need revival? I sure do. I need to be daily and continually reminded that I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. And that he is worthy. And all he wants from me is to surrender myself, humble myself before him, fall prostrate at his feet, and say, Lord, 
would you take a nobody like me and do something with my life? Lord, I, I'm just I'm your servant. This morning, my prayer is God revive us again. Lord, revive us. But we must understand that he is our high priest that has made the price for us. He's our sacrifice. There's nothing else we need than to just dive into his word and truly make him Lord of our lives. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. We're going to play a song in just a moment. You can go ahead and play whenever you want, Miss Sister Kay. And um, this morning, I wonder, maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. You're preaching about Christ being our high priest and making the sacrifice. Pastor, I have never given my life to Christ. Preacher, I'll be honest with you. If I died right now, I don't even know that I'd go to heaven. If that's you this morning... If you don't know where you'll spend eternity, you can look up at me. I want you to know that Christ died for your sins. He is your sacrifice. This morning, what he asks from you is by faith, trust in him. Would you put your faith in Christ? This morning, maybe you're here say, Pastor, I've forgotten just how wonderful he is. I've lost my sight of Christ. This morning, would you pray? Would you restore your faith and trust in Christ?